0: Welcome to The C Word, The Conservator's Podcast. Today we're talking about diversity and demographics and who we are as conservators. I'm Jenna Mathiasen,
1: an objects conservator based in South Yorkshire. I'm Chloe Rumsey, I'm an objects conservator based in Greater Manchester. And I'm
2: Christina Rizek, an objects conservator based in Cambridgeshire.
1: so oh, diversity
0: yeah so today we're going to talk about who we are as conservators which is a pretty big i don't know i don't know Deep. if it's a big topic it's probably a slightly philosophical topic to be honest but before we do that we're going to do a quick uh news uh, news in brief does anyone have any particular pieces of news that they would like to share with the listeners a piece of news is that the museums association is taking suggestions for their sessions at the annual conference which will take place in november so by march 1st if you have any ideas for good sessions that you think should be discussed by the wider museum sector but that also relates to conservation um please do get your suggestions in there's a form on their website and uh, it's fairly straightforward get your suggestions in people good bit of news Anyway, right, uh, getting on with uh, the topic at hand. Who are we as conservators? This is an interesting one to start with, I think. Um, mostly because I was wondering, when you think of a conservator, what does that person look like? I think that's a really good question. What's, what's What does a conservator look like?
2: Well, there have been, I think, a couple of attempts to answer this question. And most recently in ICON's workforce survey, which uh, was carried out over 2012 to 13 and the results published in 2013. And the thing that jumped out at me from the executive summary, the line in the section diversity, which said, people employed in conservation in 2012 to 13 were typically white, female and middle-aged. Um, and I first heard about these results at the ICON uh, pf-13 conference where they were presented uh, by kenneth hson in one of the small sessions and as soon as he said that as a summary everybody looked around the room and sure enough the room was about 80 percent white female (laughs) middle-aged conservatives (laughs) all looking at each other in kind of recognition and nodding our heads um so i think I, i don't know if that's what people think about as the stereotype of conservator when they think of one but that's certainly the the most uh kind of common demographic in the profession if you
0: like yeah so that's the stereotypical statistically uh verifiable conservator certainly on my facebook page at one point i actually asked people when i say conservator what kind of person do you picture and in rough people said it's a woman she's white she's probably in her 30s to 40s She's got her hair up in a ponytail. <laughs> she's wearing knitwear under the lab coat. <laughs> and she's wearing nitrile gloves in purple. And she's wearing very flat, sensible shoes. <laughs> Which uh, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying That's that this good. was basically the image that was conjured up. It's
1: pretty good, especially the knitwear section.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. The knitwear was mentioned by many, many people completely independently. <laughs> I really enjoyed that bit. <laughs> the knitwear brigade. <laughs> possibly knitted by her. Yes, um, quite possibly. Because we tend to be quite creative, like just as a general straw poll kind of thing. I feel like we're quite a creative bunch, actually. Um, in that we do quite like, I don't know, handiwork of all sorts of, mm. and crafts. And sort of I think thing. it
1: depends also who you ask and what context you ask in. Um, so I think if you work in, if you were asked to ask, for example, a railway, historic railway, railway enthusiast about the conservator that they thought would be working at a railway museum, they would probably say someone more like them. So typically middle-aged male.
0: I was going to say middle-aged male probably wearing greasy dungarees.
1: Yeah. So I suppose it's the idea of...
0: I say that with love, by the way, because I know a couple (laughs) of people like that.
1: I suppose it's it depends on who who is giving the answer
0: yeah yeah it does And what
1: sort of thing they think that that conservator does day to day
0: it does because I, I also got a couple of replies from people who said uh, no no she's wearing one of those blue aprons and uh, it's not purple gloves it's white cotton gloves Ooh. and I, I feel like oh uh, now, now we're straying into a completely different stereotype which is really interesting um which i, I yeah. feel is almost more a little bit more fine artsy or possibly yeah. national trusty which i just thought was really interesting
2: so, I mean, this is interesting because um, at the um, ICON triennial conference that um, these results were presented at, I also gave a paper um, about a public image of the profession. Uh, oh, which I want showed... to do a
0: whole episode on, trust
2: me. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I did was show a Google image search result for conservator, uh, which was overwhelmingly female, overwhelmingly uh, sort of people in their 30s and 40s, I would say. Um, most of them wearing lab coats, uh, and quite a, almost all of them uh, presented either uh, pointing at an object inexplicably, uh, <laughs> because that's what you do in photos looking um, or interested, else, mm-hmm. <laughs> or else examining it very closely uh through a microscope through a hand lens uh through magnifying goggles or whatever and the interesting thing to me was that a lot of these people you couldn't actually see what they looked like um because most of them had their backs to the camera mm, yeah that's a good point because actually the focus was on the object obviously mm. rather than on the conservator per se um The other thing is that um, I had a conversation with a few people um, at this conference, um, kind of along the lines we've already been talking about, uh, you know, what the stereotypes are of people working in different areas of conservation. Um, I'd say the conversation probably turned libelous quite quickly, so I'm not quite (laughs) sure I can repeat, but it was very interesting to see how the kind of stereotypes we have from within the profession are kind of different from the kind of stereotypes that people outside the profession may have. And I think, again, the kind of stereotypes that the person on the street, if you like, would have is probably different from one that, say, curators and scientists and people who work with conservators have. Um, Certainly talking to other conservators, um, we all kind of felt that, Paintings conservators were likely to be quite posh, quite privately educated women <laughs> with immaculately groomed blonde hair.
0: This, this <laughs> sounds familiar. <Whereas> yeah.
2: <laughs> paper conservators all have some kind of um, fetish about Japanese brushes
0: and that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, I
1: mean, oh, yes. You know, there are. I mean,
0: oddly mm. enough, very that, fond of their pastes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah <laughs> funnily enough, we didn't actually get onto what um people think about object conservators apart from the fact that we're kind of you know scruffy and spend all our time crawling around underneath showcases looking I was gonna say not.
1: probably mostly that we're quite scruffy actually, yeah. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> because probably- we are often archaeological conservators, and if you stick archaeological in any sort of realm of description, it's gonna be it's gonna up the muddy, oh definitely, particularly, oh yes. Up yes the rust, yes up the sandblasting etc oh, i definitely think so yeah it de- takes the glamour factor right
0: down yeah, to say you're an archaeological conservator yeah. then people definitely go oh like <laughs> yeah <laughs> probably very dusty <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly yeah. yeah apart from the people who ask
0: if you've dug up dinosaur bones
1: oh yes <laughs> also ex-archaeologist i, I mean now is now it's straight slightly
0: into the yeah. territory of um public image again but yeah. I mean I love the disappointment on people's faces when I tell them I don't have a specialism I'm an objects conservator I do everything I I wish people would see see that that's a superpower but really what people say is also oh, not like paintings or books
1: yeah or paper I, I and I like, find the same no
0: thing. none of those things actually those are pretty much the things I don't do <laughs> because you 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 want a specialist for that <laughs> which uh in some ways, it's a bit harsh. And I kind of wish that people would, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe just go, oh, that's cool. You do everything. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, you're not very special.
1: <laughs> uh, specialisms is a really big topic, actually, isn't it? The Oh, it is. The realm of specialisms and the, the generic conservator. Yeah. Because I, I think people probably have
0: a much clearer view of what <clears throat> true specialists look like or act like uh, than maybe the... Mm, yeah slightly more um, generic conservator oh we're generic
1: <laughs> so to wrench it back to
0: yes quite yes quite So
2: the icon workforce survey did actually identify um some areas of uh, skill shortage um it, so specialisms where there are significant uh, there's a significant lack of conservators um especially trained conservators and mm, yes. um, working in those areas, that's I guess behind some of ICON's training strategy as well. Um, another thing that sort of jumped out at me from the sort of headlines of the survey was that conservators are, as a profession, generally very well educated, as you know probably. Um, about just over three quarters of them have are graduates, have at least mm-hmm. one degree, yeah. and half of them have postgraduate mm-hmm. qualifications, which is obviously significantly higher than it is for the population as a whole. But the interesting thing for me was that the level of highest qualifications held peaked with conservators aged in their 30s, of whom 98% had at least one degree. So virtually all conservators in their 30s are university graduates Mm. but the proportions are lower for younger and older conservators and i think this is really interesting i'm guessing that for older conservators it's because they entered the profession before it became overwhelmingly Mm. a graduate profession and so a lot of them will have either trained on the job or done apprenticeships or they have qualifications but they're not graduate qualifications because they were university diplomas or whatever But it's interesting that there are actually fewer graduates among younger conservators as well. That surprises me. Yeah, it's not a one-way trend where we're getting more and more and more university educated.
0: Yeah.
2: And that's obviously because ICON is working very hard to promote alternative routes of access into the profession. So certainly when I started training, and I guess you guys as well, Mm. um, pretty much the only way to become a conservator was to go and do a postgraduate course somewhere. Um, There there were people who'd done undergraduate courses as well. Um, But uh, most of the entry to the profession was through these university courses. But of course now ICON is offering alternative uh, work-based schemes um, and Mm. so on.
1: I'd be interested to know, for future, what sort of things the younger generation um of conservators are doing now um so whether they are seen in museums as sort of in the um selection process for jobs and things, whether they're seen as just as valuable as those with degrees and whether there's going to be a selection bias, I suppose depending on how you were trained and whether the um, the prejudice, I suppose, for people with degree conservation to training conservation will affect what sorts of jobs they do and how they will sort of stand in the future of conservation and the future mm. of... the, Like, you know, if we did this, if we had this conversation in 10 years, it'd be interesting to know how that is affected and how our generation giving jobs to people how we see them
0: that's a good point i mean it would be horrible to think that people might get slotted into conservation technicians and slots forever or something yeah that's what i mean but then it could also go the other way around where it's like well you learned on the job you've you've done this yeah. you haven't been uh, book learning yeah. as
1: much uh, i mean it, it could go that way as well yeah uh,
0: it would be interesting to see if there's
1: yeah i'd like data to in a think, couple of years yeah i'd like to think that everyone would be considered Sort of equally footed in selection, though, if jobs continue to be as difficult to get, then yeah. I suppose a sort- a snobbery will probably emerge yeah um, so i'd be I'd be interested to see what happens with that, um and you know the future could hold anything, so there's no point in worrying about it now, but it's an interesting conversation to broach at this it early is. stage,
0: yeah, I agree, yeah, I'd be really fascinated to see how that pans out so something else that came out of this uh membership survey um or the icon survey even that you've already mentioned christina um i found it interesting that only 13 percent of conservators were under 30 i think that's such a tiny proportion i'm absolutely fascinated by it Uh, it's about an eighth of um of the entire workforce
2: i have my own kind of theories about this Mm. um one is obviously that um the need to do postgraduate training um in some cases, quite lengthy training. The mm. course I did at UCL was three years. Mm. Means that people are often older, and they enter into the profession. That's true. Yeah. Also, I think because it's not a very mainstream profession, people often do something else first. Um, you don't get many sixteen-year-olds thinking it's it's my burning ambition to be a museum conservator. Um, and so, I think a lot of people fall into it by mistake after doing something else. Um
0: I was often. just gonna say that that's something I really love about our profession is that people sometimes come to it later in life and they've had marvellous or weird careers beforehand. And yeah. I mean off the top of my head I can think of uh, people have been flight attendants, illustrators, uh childminders, gosh, scientists um, uh I
1: <laughs> yeah
0: i mean uh, historians I, general I, retail archaeologists <laughs> thank it you
1: archaeologists
2: <laughs> cabinet <laughs> cabinet makers i know someone yeah beautiful. yeah yeah uh, quite i know someone who uh used to make props on television oh no, uh, i'd love that <laughs> so your next career choice.
0: yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, no so people people come from the most diverse paths and i love that so much it's i think that's, that's actually a true gem of conservation mm. in that we, we're a really weird and varied bunch and I love it. I think that's a genuine strength of the profession, but one that we don't really recognise.
2: So, uh, I mean, to go back to the thing about mm. um, how old conservators are, yes, as you said, people tend to enter later in life. I think one of the interesting things from the survey was just how old conservators are on average, So it said um, 80% of professional conservators are aged between 30 and 59. On average, professional conservators were uh, 42.9 years old. Females are 40 on average, while the average male is 48. Um, So firstly, it's interesting that there's quite a discrepancy between men and women. Mm. And um, secondly, I think it's interesting that we're so much older than the average workforce. So I went to see if I could find statistics about how old the average person in employment in the UK is. And according to Oxford University, in 2014, the average UK worker was 39 years old.
1: Oh, so okay. we're kind okay. of older than
2: average. And mm. if you're a male conservator, you're much likely to be average. much yeah. older.
0: Much, much older. That's really interesting. I, certainly
2: yeah. have, I certainly have heard people talking about this kind of demographic time bomb. Um, where you have this kind of bulge of museum conservators, um, a lot of people who entered the profession maybe 30, 40 years ago who are coming up for retirement in the next five or 10 years. Um, I think they're probably the sort of cohort who started to be employed when museums kind of cottoned on to the fact that you need to, employ conservators if you want your collection to last for a bit longer and so there was i think a big increase in um employment among museum conservators and private conservators 30 40 years ago a lot of these people are now coming up for retirement and it's not clear that we're going to be able to replace them actually um so we're we're not only going to be losing um the expertise and um, experience of these people when they retire but we're actually you know going to be losing a lot of people a lot of of jobs and it's a big worry I think whether those jobs are going to be replaced.
0: Mm, Yeah definitely. Um, Another thing that I noticed from the survey was that um, two percent of conservators say that they have some sort of disability. Now admittedly you aren't uh, obligated to say that you, you if you have one you can decline to answer that um or it may be, uh that you don't classify something as a disability as where other people might but two percent is a really low number and uh, that's fascinating to me because it's fifteen percent in the general population of which uh half of those are in the working force so we're Significantly lower in terms of welcoming disabled people into their mm. conservation profession, which is interesting. Um, and I wonder if there's any way we can even change that.
1: Do we know if there are stats on how much of that is learning disabilities like dyslexia?
0: I don't think there was a very detailed breakdown okay. of it. Um, I could be wrong about that. but
1: it, it would be interesting because I suppose that if that was the case, if the sort of the vast number of people were not disabled because they're dyslexic but they don't sort of consider that to affect their mm. lives then i mean we do a very practical job don't we so it might be that sort of the more um literary based learning disabilities aren't don't really come that much into play with but with then the again is not what we do
0: because of uh the rigorous um degree schemes that we have to go through for example um well, that that's true will it may actually be a uh it may actually be a problem you know yeah. that it's too intimidating to go into it oh if, that's true um you know if you're not yeah
1: and then will that change if we have a growing a growing number of people coming into it outside of the degree system i mean i hope if so because that that yeah. would be good for diversity yeah absolutely excellent. um
0: but i'm also thinking of things like Physical disabilities, yeah. like I'm thinking mostly about access issues, to be honest, because whilst we're quite keen on making museums more more accessible to disabled people. Uh, there was actually a, a good art- article in the recent museums journal about uh, welcoming disabled visitors and what we can do better. Mm. Um, we don't tend to put the same effort into the behind the scenes areas. Uh, the staff areas at most museums that I've been to <laughs> have been a little bit low budget a little bit second hand, yeah. a little bit whatever we can cobble yeah. together it'll be fine you, you don't need to be warm right um
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm, being, well, I'm, thinking, I'm being so harsh now but particularly about the place that we work together that is in Pons a very Ponson. old building um and we are often in old buildings yeah. which restricts what you can do but uh, for example the access being a windy staircase which was which would be difficult for both you know staff access and it was difficult for object indeed Uh, less than
0: ideal circumstances so um, maybe we're genuinely making it too difficult to be a be a physically disabled conservator just because we're sometimes rubbish at providing the physical access to the actual lab for example or studio or uh, whichever kind of environment you're in
2: um can I go back to what Chloe was saying mm. about dyslexia actually? Oh um, yes. This is kind of anecdotal, but I have met a surprisingly large number of conservators who are dyslexic. And um I recently uh, I've recently been teaching some courses about writing uh for publication in conservation. And um, a lot of people attending those courses are highly intelligent people, but they feel intimidated about the requirement to publish their work because they um, are dyslexic. Um, and, I can and it kind of made me.
1: sympathize with that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm one of the dyslexic mm. conservators. <laughs> yeah. so
2: it, it made me wonder if actually there is a larger than. Um, average number of dyslexic conservators, and whether in fact some of the um other qualities that go with dyslexia are positive qualities in a conservator in mm. a museum conservator so i mean you know um i, I again anecdotally i've i've met a lot of left handed conservators and i don't know how true the science is on this, but um you know there's there's this popular idea that if you're left handed you're more likely to be creative um to be good at uh lateral thinking and and those sorts of uh creative artistic physical kind of skills which is what a lot of people associate with conservation work um and again you know dyslexia often goes hand in hand both with high intelligence but also with um quite creative thought artistic ability that kind of thing so in fact chloe i don't know if you want to say anything about that then
1: uh, well, I, I think I can, again, I, it can only be anecdotal. Um, I can I can relate to a lot of what you're saying with the creativity and the artistic. I was hoping you were going to say something about, you know, people being wildly brilliant at their jobs if they're dyslexic, but then you said left-handed and I'm not left-handed, so I can't unfortunately <laughs> brag about that. <laughs> but I, I think I um, I know of quite again quite a lot of dyslexic conservators who you know will swear and stomp about writing the reports that they need to write but then in their professional lives and in their extracurricular lives they are vastly creative and incredibly skilled with their hands and their um, problem-solving Physical problem-solving abilities. Um, so I, I, I wonder if it's um, a type of mind that is um, well cared for. I suppose in conservation, well, um, well adapted to, and very successfully trained. I suppose I, I like that idea. I think that's a that's an interesting one. I'd be really interested if someone was to do some good scientific research <laughs> statistical <laughs> analysis of the number of dyslexic people in i agree that would be awesome. creative because it's also a, it's also a science isn't it and the way that um we learned it uh, jenny and i both went to um cardiff university and they they teach the science of conservation and it's very much material science it would be i i would be you know interested Again, to to see you know how people with dyslexia respond to that kind of learning, um, and whether they thrive there or whether they thrive elsewhere, where it's a more, um, I suppose, hands-on and um, I can't <clears throat> think of the word, not pra- more oh. vi- practical learning. Yeah, that's mm. what I mean. Yeah, um, yeah, I, yeah. It's mm, interesting. I like
0: it. This is all very fascinating. I love this. I wonder if the 2% that we have may not, may not actually be true. That Yeah. Because, um, I I mean, I certainly...
1: I've armed and every single time I put in a, a job application and they ask for disabilities, I am um an ah, oh, should I say I'm dyslexic? Well, it's not really a disability, is it? Because it doesn't affect my working life. So I might as well not. But then, you know, then after I... If I don't, you know, if I don't get an interview and then I find, oh, there's... Loads of spelling mistakes in my statement because I didn't read, proofread it eight times. You know, it, and then you start second guessing. Yeah, that. I wonder. Uh. Oh, maybe I should have because that's it's an honest kind of portrayal of. Well, yes, I struggle with the the, the nitty gritty of of writing sometimes, but I'm damn good at the practical side. You know, so I I wonder if people just don't see it as that much of a disability for their work as conservatives, yeah again. it could be i mean uh t- to be honest
0: uh, i i take the box i'm part of the two percent i have uh, unseen slash hidden disabilities and uh, i'm totally fine with that um i i'm always up front with it and if anyone ever asked me a question about it then i would totally answer it yeah but
1: yeah well again in, in, in a bad way in that case maybe we're frightened to say that we're dis- we have disabilities it could generally be that whether they are unseen or not, if it is such a difficult thing, you know, for the emerging professional, we can talk about this in the emerging professional podcast yeah. <laughs> episode. Um, <laughs> whether it's it's so sort of daunting a, a prospect to be selected even at interview stage, whether we think, oh God, I better not better not say I'm disabled because that might count against me.
0: Mm, I mean, it could be a fear like that. It could be. Um, so another aspect of the demographic. Um, discussion here is 97% of us are white, uh, which, or identify as white in some shape way, or form, which is again, an interesting it's one. It's a of,
1: huge number. It is a huge, a number. huge number.
0: Uh, it's 80 something in the general population, uh, that, that are mm-hmm. considered mm-hmm. or consider themselves white, I should say, mm-hmm. self-identify as white. Um, so h- how do we even get minorities in, um, can we in some way spur that on? I mean, I know it's a big discussion topic in, in ICON itself at the moment that they're trying to find ways mm-hmm. of encouraging people to, uh, join in the profession and feel welcome and not feel like this is something white women do, you know?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, interestingly, um, interestingly, I'm in the 3%. Um, mm. and, uh, I'm mixed race. Yeah. Uh, my, uh, one of my parents is not white. Um, but um, we were having a discussion about diversity um, in a museum I worked in previously, and they were looking for staff to uh, sort of show how diverse and uh, you know kind of vibrant they were, and so on. And um, <laughs> good initiative, I oh. <laughs> feel. Though <well.
0: laughs>
2: they said, "Oh, well, you know, all our staff are white. We need more sort of you know different kind of faces, and so on." And I said, "Well, you know, I'm not white." Um, and they kind of looked at me and said, well, you're too white. <laughs> ah, I see. <laughs> too beige. I,
0: I, I'm just kind of wondering if... <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's interesting I, I'm because... I'm just wondering if if we need a more kind of nuanced... No, I de- uh, I'm definitely with this. you there because I feel like we are bad at recognising diversity that is already there. Um, and I mean that more in the sense of um, I'm quite pleased that loads of conservatives I meet are are from very different cultural backgrounds or very mixed cultural backgrounds. And I find that absolutely thrilling. I I feel like this has been one of the more diverse professions uh, I've, I've, you know, encountered in some ways in that, uh, for example, looking back in my Cardiff days, Mm -hmm. there there was such a diverse Mm, amount of people there. We had people from Cyprus and Greece and uh, Norway and Denmark and, um they were all over the place north america um we really had a really mixed bunch and i feel like this is also true out in out in my working life i have found that there we come from loads of places and loads of backgrounds but uh that that's not generally something that people i think think about
2: uh i i think the elephant in the room here in because we're in the uk is mm. class oh yeah uh, and um conservation is not only hideously white uh, to use the
0: phrase (laughs) um,
2: but we're also hideously middle class um, and in the UK ethnicity race um, class cultural background education level and so on they're all very kind of intertwined Mm. and um, until we can find ways to kind of broaden entry into the profession and support early career conservators Mm. better then it is going to remain a white female underpaid generally non-disabled uh, generally uh, middle class profession and i think you know some of the reasons are actually to do with not not so much to do with um barriers to entry into the profession but that the conditions that people find themselves working in are very off-putting it's hmm. It's all very well saying, okay, I'm going to take a gamble and do a master's degree in conservation and then embark on this very precarious career that might involve lots of six month contracts moving all around the country, periods of unemployment in between, that kind of thing. It's all very well doing that if you come from a comfortable middle class background. And And if you can justify it
1: to yourself. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, This is
0: such a good, such a good point. And it was interesting. I was, earlier today I was watching... Um, a video clip from the Museums Association conference, which was in, I want to say, November. And uh, they had a session on workforce diversity. And most of that was about, in fact, class. And uh, the panel was mostly uh, self-defined as working class. And I'd be curious to see how how such a panel would look in the conservation profession, because I suspect it would be a lot more middle class than it is working class. But... That being said, I'm definitely working class. Definitely. I grew up poor. <laughs> I'm still poor. <laughs> I think I will stay poor. But uh, <laughs> I mean, no, but like seriously though, uh, I I come from I come from the dirt. Like yeah, I, <laughs> I have a grimy ass conservative like that. <laughs> um, I am definitely working class, but it's fascinating to think that people in the UK are still really bound by a class. And it's it's still something people... Uh, think a lot about and people definitely want to slot you in um, or label you uh, conveniently. It's, it's interesting because I come from a society where um, class is no longer really a thing, which sounds utopian and stupid, but we don't really. <laughs> so I'm Swedish. Um, and in Sweden, we, the class, of course, still exists to some degree, but it's not really something people identify with. It's not really something... It's not really something people self-label or label others with. It's 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 so fascinating to me to be in the UK where it's very much still a thing, and uh, people are quite keen to know, to, to pigeonhole you if at all possible. Which is interesting.
1: Yeah, I I think um, we're speaking as as the I suppose ninety seven percent white British. I remember. Um, Growing up, the um, the emphasis on getting a job with the um, with younger people and, and into twenties, getting a job that will pay enough to survive was was great, uh, and i i would I wouldn't be surprised at all if the the demographic is wildly affected by, you know, the number of conservatives that are introduced to the profession because they decide that they're going to volunteer in a museum you know three days a week or something just to see how you know i'm interested in in history i'll volunteer in a museum if you have the privilege to see that as an option then that's that's
0: this, this is now slowly getting me riled up. <laughs> yeah. now, now, now I'm getting into territory where I'm like, You're it's fascinating that, <laughs> that, with, that with two degrees, I can't support a family. <laughs> uh, and It's starting to crack all slightly yeah. inside of me. Um,
1: but even just, you know, many of us, we, we, we didn't take the decision lightly to do a conservation degree or to start... In the world of conservation, we, we decided to volunteer and we decided to look at this and that. But if, the, if your main priority is, is, well, simply that you couldn't justify to yourself the to however many days a week that you are working unpaid for, then it's, it's simply not an option but you. see this this
0: is this is one of the problems isn't it because how can we encourage diversity if this is this is a profession where you can only uh, enter into it if you're already well off <laughs> yes. or indeed if you're if you're say
1: yeah.
0: a genuine phrase that someone has said to me a kept woman <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah kept by either spouse or by family i suppose that's the, that's the level of privilege that he, a, now that's distressing. Great, that's something that yeah. needs to change. Yeah, because it will, absolutely.
0: Otherwise, how are we ever going to progress from white middle-class women doing this?
1: Yeah, well, I have a, I mean, I had a, a conversation with a colleague um, the other day, um, simply about the, the implications of this sort of lack of diversity. Um, she was talking from the point of view of, a, um, of someone from the north of England um, and the the differences between you know curators and conservators who um curate and conserve things objects that are important to them and from cultures that are important to them if we only have people from a very set small number of backgrounds then we'll only have a focus on the histories from a set small number of backgrounds Mm. um so the, I think the implications of this are sort of horrifying, considering we have such a diverse culture normally, that if we're think- going forwards, not celebrating all of that, not looking after all of that, it's, it's sort of quite distressing, really, isn't it? Mm.
2: I think the implications of that are fascinating, actually, um, in that um, it kind of touches on how your own personal background um, and identity um, kind of inform, might inform your interpretation of an object as a as a curator and the kind of aspects that you think are interesting and um the things you want to bring out i'm really fascinated to now know now how the same might be true of conservators i mean do you think we're all kind of conserving it in a white middle class female kind of way do you think there are
0: other that that I absolutely love that concept.
2: I think (laughs) the the, the practice of the profession as a whole will change when we become more diverse as a profession. Do you think there'll be kind of different ways of conserving or different approaches to conservation?
0: I think, yes, if we had more voices, um, more diverse voices uh, joining in, indeed, as conservators, then I think it would be... It would change. It would change slowly.
1: Particularly as we have, um, I think in this country, quite a vast number of um, colonial collections that we essentially, historically stomped around the world and took all the things, <laughs> um, stole people's stuff and then took Let's it back fair. to mostly London and the, you know, the the large wealth centers in the 19th century. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> And now we've got a mainly middle class white female workforce who may not, well, it's difficult to say, I suppose, but may not be seeing it in all of the um, nuanced ways that it can be seen, or maybe deserves to be seen. I I realise that curatorial and conservation worlds are getting much more self-aware about this sort of thing but you know it's it's hundreds of years of prejudice and and discrimination against other cultures that it, it will be difficult to shake off it mm. might just be you know <clears throat> a far more positive thing to encourage other cultures <laughs> in ah
0: but yes uh this also brings another question to mind um as white middle class women, or however which way you you self identify, uh, does that does that mean that we might think we're almost scientifically detached from the objects that we conserve? Are we perhaps a little bit afraid that if we left people in with other opinions, they it might be a self identifying thing? Like, um, for example i am african these are african mm. things i understand them better than you do mm. are we afraid that people that are letting people in are with other opinions and uh, other mindsets perhaps you know are we are we slightly frightened that i mean in,
2: i think conservators are in many ways very open-minded certainly most conservators would do as much as they can to find out about the background and context yeah, mm, yes. of an yeah. object before treating it, and um, particularly with um, archaeological or ethnographic material or things from other cultures that would involve trying to find out as much as you can about the culture and practices um, surrounding this object, um, how it was made, what the people who made it believed, um, what um, might be a respectful way to treat an object in the light of those beliefs. Um, So in many ways, we're quite um, open-minded and careful Culturally, I would say, Um, certainly when it comes to information gathering, um, I I still think it's a really interesting question how much it would change our practice.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'd be interested to know whether it changes both our practice and our um, distribution of funds, let's say, of, you know, intercollections that are, well, diverse as well. So are we at the moment, if we are quite sort of London focused? in the the British Museum and the V&A type collections, where there are other types of collections, will get a bit more of a look in with a greater diversity of the people making those decisions. Um, That's another interesting factor, I suppose, as well.
2: Uh, You mentioned the people making the decisions, Chloe, but quite often, in fact, they're not conservators. No, absolutely. Our work is driven by other people's, decisions um, the curators who decide what's going on display um, the people in charge of the money who decide what gets conserved next or more to the point what doesn't get conserved and so actually often we're kind of responding to other people's decisions rather than being proactive in making those decisions mm. but I, I look forward to a future where we have kind of different strains of this where we have you know like queer conservation and <laughs> oh, conservation. I love it <laughs> crip conservation i mean these are all kind of terms that are being you know reclaimed um, because we live in an age of identity politics increasingly yeah um, you know kind of awareness of how identity shapes our outlook on life every aspect of how we engage with the world I, I
0: i would hope that's a positive thing where it's uh uh, that can be an asset. And we've talked about whether dyslexics make better conservators. We've I talked know. about it's
2: amazing whether th- there's such a thing as black conservation. We talked about, you know, so I think there's loads of really
0: interesting stuff. I get. think we've summed up that the average conservator may or may not wear knitwear, may or may not wear a lab coat, uh, probably wears gloves of some description. Hopefully
1: wears gloves of some description. Hopefully.
0: Um, is most likely to be female, most likely to be white, May or may not lie about having disabilities. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> then I think there's something we did... And may or may not be of a, of a different uh, cultural background than yeah. her face lets on.
1: <laughs> her, particularly. Mm. <laughs> I think it, something we didn't uh, touch on was the this very, very small number of men uh, in the Indeed. profession. But I... Th- I suppose that's that's one of these uh, selection difficulties. I suppose once men are in the profession, I I know a, a small handful, um, two, three, four, maybe, um, they are celebrated, really, as, as yeah. male conservators. And, oh, brilliant, you've got a man on board. And I think that both demonstrates... Um, I think similarly the, you the yeah the use of a diverse or the the value of a diverse mm. workforce and also how keen we are to become more diverse and we are totally aware of the fact that we are pretty
0: yeah much all I, I would agree I don't women. think <laughs> I don't think anyone is saying oh we should be a 100% female <laughs> profession I think that yeah. would be absolutely terrible and dreadful yeah. um, yes I, I agree I think we are keen to celebrate the men. Yeah, the absolutely. men amongst us are celebrated and loved. We love um, men. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we would be keen to have more of you. Yes. That sounded really wrong. Uh, I mean, in the profession. <laughs> Not personally. I'm, I'm good. I've got one. <laughs> That's staying in the show. Keep it. <laughs> definitely staying in the show. Uh, yes. I think we definitely, definitely just uh, need more male conservators because of balance if nothing else yeah, you know, uh, i know yeah <clears throat> yes so um next uh, next up is a uh, review uh we're, we're going to try to do reviews in each episode the reviews can be of anything if you have any suggestions send us suggestions for what to review they can be tools they can be apps books articles websites websites can- and in fact if you want to contribute a review we would also be thrilled so yeah uh, let us know but uh, please know that we have no money, so you'd have to send us the actual thing you want to review. <laughs> no, I'm just being honest here. I've, I, I can't buy a 120 quid book. I can't. Uh, <laughs>
1: please send us things. Uh, or yeah. write a review and we can read it out for you. Yeah, quite.
0: I would like to review a timekeeping app, which is called Toggle. Toggle was recommended to me by a fellow conservator in Cambridge, uh, Jenny Marchant who used it a lot to keep track of her different work projects. Now, initially, I started using this as a way of keeping track of my various off-duty projects, because I also run a small business, and I basically overcommit my time, (laughs) my free time at least. Um, And it really helped me stay on track so when i started my new job i immediately adopted toggle as a way of keeping track of my time i go and just go straight to toggle.com where uh, i log into my account in any old browser and just log my time it's really easy to use it's completely free Uh, essentially you just type in a task and you can assign it to a project and that way you can easily keep track in real time or manually um, all the things that you're doing and this is really useful to me because i work on both commercial projects and museum projects as part of my daily daily job you can pay a little bit extra to uh, get some extra features but really i find that the free version is plenty good you get reports you can use it anywhere you can have an unlimited number of projects and also clients if that's useful to you. You can color code all your projects. Uh, you can use it for whole teams if you have co-workers. You can share time reports with people and uh, also track your time when you're offline. It's been really handy in uh, showing my managers how much time I'm actually spending on various tasks, both around the museum and for the commercial unit that I run. So just in general, it's been a really, really handy tool. And I really recommend that you give it a try. If uh, you feel that you need a good time, uh, time management tool to try it for yourself, go to toggle.com or download their Android or iPhone app. They also do desktop apps for windows, Mac, Linux, um, and Chrome and Firefox extensions slash add-ons. Basically, there's no excuse not to try it. Um, it's brilliant and it's free. If you have any comments, questions, or corrections, please do send them to us. We love questions. We love comments. Uh, we may also love corrections because we do like getting our facts straight. So uh, if you have anything to contribute, please do let us know. Uh, you can find us on Twitter. Uh, you can visit our website. And uh, yeah, please tweet us. We're at uh, the C Word Podcast. And uh, you can email us at seawordpodcast at gmail.com. If you fancy. Yeah, <laughs> outro, outro time. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We're The Sea Word and you've been listening to Christina Rosaic, Chloe Rumsey and me, Jenny Mathiason. Join us next time for an episode about human remains. In the meantime, you can check out our website at theseaword.show.com. Tweet us at the C Word Podcast or simply email us at the C at gmail.com. The intro and outro music is Spring by DD Mystic, used under a Creative Commons attribution license. This has been a Wooden Dice production. myself in the face or something. (laughs)